Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with an alumni from RMIT, Jeff Kopoloff. He's uh, Director of Interior Design at Bates Smart Architects and uh, very high profiled in Melbourne. So welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be here. Um, Jeff, you're an interesting one. You have been very loyal to Bates Smart. <laughs> there are very few architects who've worked with a firm since 19, really, 1983. Yeah, about then. So it's right. a long time. But your early days, you, you studied interior design at RMIT, so you must have been one of the first graduates. No, it had been around for quite some time. Interior design? Yeah, yeah, interior design course had been going for a while, I think. In fact, quite some time. And why interior design? Well, my grandfather was an architect. Um, he was he was born and educated in Vienna. So I guess from a young age, I was surrounded by design. And my mother was a textile designer, also ex-RMIT. So I always had design and creativity around me. And I, I guess I loved, I always just loved looking at houses and being taken by my grandfather to have a look at whatever he'd been doing. And I guess... And in fact, in more a way, it was there was nothing else I wanted to do. So I guess I better well, I picked that. As a child, did you live in a great architect designed house? Oh, look, we were surrounded by beautiful furniture and lovely objects, a lot of which my grandfather had designed. And uh, and yes, there was a number of houses in the family that were pretty striking. Yeah. So yes, I was surrounded by a fair bit of that. And did you have a hand in any of them, Jeff? Or? Well, in later years, I would have certainly passed comments. But predominantly, you know, in fact, I can remember when I was about 16 or 17, my parents did up the house and I was allowed to pick the wallpaper, very, you know, metallic silver and pale blue. And We're very, thinking early very 70s. 70s. It was the full 70s number, <laughs> uh, royal blue shag pile carpet and sort of a half dome silver pendant. So it was pretty full on. And, I, you know, I, I was allowed to have a say in that. Fabulous. A bit of a timepiece, really. Um, Jeff, you... Uh, I mean, the scale you're working at at the moment is quite different. Before we get on to that, you started your early days, because I think it's interesting, working on set design with Peter Corrigan. I, well, I did, set, did a set design subject at RMIT, and Peter Corrigan was one of my lecturers, although I think I was so scared of him that I hardly did, hardly did any work. I certainly didn't want to turn up too often to be <laughs> criticised. And uh, But that did lead me to, to really be very interested in set design, so I, as a... I did work experience one day at the ABC at Channel 2 and, and loved it and decided, well, that would be great to do that for a while. And, and you if, did. And I did, and I ended up with a job. Well, they didn't, they didn't have a position going, and I, and I can remember speaking to the head of the department, the head of the, and this was when the design department was really quite big. There would have been about 25, 30 staff down in Ripon Lee just working on pure design, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't have a job going. And I said, well, can I come and work for nothing? And he said, oh, well, you can't do that. Oh, we'll think about it. And then about two days later, he rang up and said, you can start. Fabulous. So I got a paid job as a junior draftsman straight out of, uh, straight out of um, RMIT. But um, I got a job there and stayed for a couple of years. And, we, and you were there while Countdown was being Yes, Countdown. Well, there was a lot going on. There were dramas being done. So you went from period dramas. But at a, at a, for a period, I worked on Countdown as a junior, drawing up lots of 
lots of signs with lots of, you know, um, light, uh, bulbs. light bulbs popping. <laughs> exactly that. I can remember drawing up uh, signs for Xanadu, which was the great um, uh, Olivia, Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John movie that had just come out and she was a guest and I can remember drawing up Xanadu signs to be hung in the studio all surrounded by flashing light bulbs. Yeah, Fabulous. Fabulous. Was, well, the 80s is back, so well-timed. <laughs> um, but now you, I mean, it's a huge practice bait smart now. I mean, 160 staff in Melbourne, yeah. 150 in Sydney. Yep. You're doing serious projects. Yeah, they're serious projects. They're... I guess that's what always attracted me. I, I, After set design, I worked for a little bit on my own and I just doing private work and I just didn't find it as stimulating. I loved the team camaraderie of the television studio and, and getting a production together. And to me, the, that was lacking, and so I, I loved the idea of going back into a studio, which Bait Smart was, with all these incredibly talented people, mm-hmm. and working on big productions, big buildings, projects that took time and that took a huge amount of creative effort, not just by one person but by many. I mean, people who know Bait Smart very well, it's probably the, one of the oldest architectural practices well, in, in Melbourne. The world, or, in the world, actually. We think we're one of the oldest. We're 165 years old. But I only it, did 130 of them, though, oh, you know. <laughs> um, but it was Batesmart Bates McCutcheon originally. Well, it started it was started by Joseph Reed. That's right. In, 18, uh, in uh, 1852, and he's well known. He got off the boat, basically, and ended up winning the design competition for the State Library of Victoria, but went on to do the exhibition buildings and, in, and a whole host of Melbourne's most significant buildings. So as interior design... Uh, interior director or director of interior design for mm-hmm. Batesmart, do you feel like you're carrying that legacy? Like every time you do something, do you realise, I mean, you know, because the earliest buildings have... Look, our, funny you should say that we had a big marketing meeting yesterday and we were talking about our legacy and it it's fundamentally does inform us. It fundamentally leads us to producing architecture that is as... that. Attempts to remain timeless. We have a great sense of looking back and going, you know, what we craft today, we're hoping will have the longevity of those buildings that I mentioned in, you know, the golden age of Melbourne, the 1880s, 1860s. And and so it brings about a serious attention to producing buildings of sustainability, which we think environmentally is uh, significant as well. But it really does sober us to think about the contribution that we're making to the cities in which we build and uh, and the importance of creating buildings for, for, for longevity. And I'd have to say, look, um, a bit like the buildings from the past, there's certain quietness to them. You're not bait smart. You wouldn't say, uh, you no. know, mad screamers. No. They're not fighting for attention. No. Usually if you see a bait smart building, whether it's from the early 20th century or from now, there is that sense of quietness. Well, I'd like to – uh, quietness is a fair term. I'd like to give it the term consideration. I mean, we put a lot of thought, carefully considered, resolved. That's not to say that they're not lacking in, you know – a huge amount of creativity and a lot of our buildings from a technology point of view are cutting edge. Uh, and, and, you know, look at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. You look at buildings like the Melbourne in the Eastbourne. These have set the mark in the areas in which they're done. But they, but, but 
and they're as creative as is possible, but they don't have to literally scream and go, look at me. Yeah. We don't have to surround them with light bulbs yeah. to, to make a creative and significant shift in architecture. One of the, uh, What's interesting, one of your latest projects, which won an award at the uh, Australian Institute of Architects, the Victorian chapter recently, for the Club Stand, which is a really interesting building. I'm not into horse racing. It's not something that is on my agenda but even if you're not interested in horse racing you have to admit this is a very important building and a very interesting design and when you look at it it has that very streamlined 1930s film feel but it's very much about fashion and you were very quick to introduce that idea early in the piece. Well, Tell from me an interior's it. point of view, I guess from an architectural point of view, and we talked about the building doesn't have to scream to necessarily be highly creative. This building has set a new benchmark globally in the way one looks at a grandstand. It's a building that's designed in the round uh, to be perceived and to be looked out from at 360 degrees. And if you think about most grandstands, they tend to have a two-dimensional aspect. They only look one way. And, there's, and from a hospitality and a membership point of view, it absolutely creates new a new landmark approach to these buildings. Tell me about the fashion component. So the fashion component was, I guess, uh, Flemington, for which the Melbourne Cup and Spring Racing Festival is, is renowned internationally. We looked at, from an interior's point of view, some of the other key aspects of Flemington that are fundamental, and that had to do with the gardens and the, uh, and the fashion. And for the duration of the Melbourne Cup, if you look back over the archives, 150 years as well, fashion has played a large part in, in what has made it interesting and you know if you think of Jean Shrimpton who was one of the models of the 1960s the first she brought mini skirts shock horror to this established club in 1960 and was 64 and was on the front I think it was 64 was on the front page of every newspaper uh, around the country and Incredibly, um, the VRC have recorded every year this wonderful collection of photographs. And these photographs don't just track the history of horse racing, they actually track the history of fashion and society and, um, and, and humanity across Melbourne in 150 years. And we were really inspired by that collection of photographs, but also inspired by the notion of this building isn't just about looking at horses and races if you think about going to the races and you only even if you don't go to the races i'm sure in your suburb you'll see everyone dressing up to hop on the tram to go to the races and the joy that you get with the hats the clothes and for us it wasn't just about watching horses people go to the races to watch each other and we saw this building from an interiors point of view as being an opportunity for you to enjoy that ambience and so we borrowed from a lot of the fashion items there are fashion so the crown of the building for example could be likened to this wonderful hat well, I, my, my fellow partner, Kristen Whittle, might be a little insulted by that. I don't know that he necessarily sees it, but I look at it, this is my view, I look at it and see it as a wonderful, almost like a fascinator or a hat on the top. Yeah. And in the same way as hats are joyful and uplifting, I, I guess I, we always saw the building as being a building about joy and, uh, and, and, and to give a quality that was uplifting. And I think that's what the, the roof form was very much about. So there are other fashion uh, you allude to fashion in other ways you've got the and the other thing you mentioned in another conversation you said look 
it's very much tied to the British establishment and the British idea of racing. Yes, so you, this one, you bought some of the ideas. Yeah, like, look, we looked at the history of the club and, you know, unashamedly, it, it, it had a Britishness. Let's be, you know, this was colonial settlement. There was no doubt that's where it was coming from. And it always looked towards sort of the notion of the British club and, and I guess the way in which the monograms worked. So we looked at the idea of fashion and we looked at the idea... So when it came, for instance, to, to design our carpets, of which there were dozens in the building, we said, well, what should inform that? And we looked at fashion and we looked at the sorts of patterns that associated with fabric and textile printing that related to fashion in particular. So if you think about uh, that, that comes down to, and particularly the Britishness, that comes down to sort of plaids or even tartans, Scottish tartans, or houndstooth type fabrics, the sorts of fabrics that you might see um, uh, in, a, in a wonderful bespoke tailor. So we borrowed a lot from that pattern making and incorporated it within the textile surfaces. And some were more traditional. The, the club dining room is, uh, definitely has a nod to the past. That was something that the club was very interested in. But in other areas which are much more contemporary, you know, a much, you know, edgier cocktail bar, for instance, we looked at textiles and patterns that are that were inspired by, um, for instance, Paul Smith. So, stripes. you know, we brought the stripes of a classic Paul Smith, but the the, you know, the the juxtaposition of those incredible colours that he puts together and said, well, perhaps a carpet can can pay a nod to that sort of piece of fashion as well as traditional um, fashion. Jeff, I would have thought the racing fraternity are fairly conservative in the large. You mentioned Amanda Elliott as being very um, open-minded and very, very, yep. very supportive. And obviously she got some of the subtleties and the humour. I mean, you've got in the, the yes. GH Mumbai, you've got this wonderful wraparound um, metal... Red ribbon. Red ribbon mm. that's kind of t you're taken off a bottle of... Yes, well, the, one of the key sponsors for the for the VRC is GH Moon, which is a famous French champagne house. And so we had the pleasure of designing a, a, a champagne bar for them. And we looked closely at, at their branding. And in fact, we had a wonderful session uh, in France. That was a great thing to do, uh, meeting their heads of marketing and uh, as well as their uh, as well as their head champagne maker, and really understanding the brand. And we want they wanted. Some something very strong and very dynamic. Their brand is very much associated with sport and activity and they, you know, they used to sponsor the Grand Prix as well as horse riding. So their brand was about movement and action. And to us, the red, they call it the Cordon Rouge, the red ribbon that is their brand mark across their label was the obvious really dynamic element that we could weave through the space and really helped us create what is in a physically very long space, uh, a, a marker that uh, was able to trail through and become a, a visual beacon taking you through the space. It, uh, is, it is a pretty amazing It's a beautiful uh, piece of work, and we had, to, we had a special, uh, a very talented craftsman make, the, make that how, ribbon for us. How do you tend to work, Jeff? I mean, you've obviously got a huge team that you're working with, or a very large team, Pulling this type of thing together must be 
almost a nightmare. I mean, how do you start something like you this? You just start, I guess. But yeah, it, 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 you don't just... it is daunting. And I guess the way I've gone about it in the past, we've got very talented, very senior staff. Jan yeah. Eastwood, one of our associate directors, worked closely with me from day one. We try to maintain strong continuity. You mentioned Amanda Elliott, who's the first female chairman of the club in its 150 years, and she had a single-handed vision. She was very clear about what she wanted, and again, we t- say in architecture, great architecture is made by great clients. Well, this, this is the perfect example. She was clear about she, what she wanted. She gave us a reign to be creative. She would, of course, challenge us, but she also inspired us. And, you know, for clients like that, you, you can't do enough, really. And uh, the way we manage it, well, we just broke the project down into a series of elements. But first and foremost, we created a strategy for how that interior should work is it when you i mean when you're working at this scale do you have to kind of present i mean obviously amanda was key to the uh, process is it a matter of it has to go through all these different stakeholders and they add comment and then you have yes. to adjust and fine yes. tune uh, look to a certain extent she um of course, we had major sign-offs and we had to present to the board at various times. And more importantly, our real client was the 25, 30,000 members of the club. So doing a club is a really difficult process because everyone is a stakeholder. Now, of course, you can't have 30,000 opinions. And so she had to walk a very careful path of navigating through the process of presenting it. And we had open days where, in fact, there was a series of days where known as meet the, meet the designers, meet the architects, and we'd sit up in front of a panel and if, if members wished to come along and ask questions, we would present the interiors and the architecture and anyone at the end of the session who had a question, a bit like going to a... Um, uh, going to a boardroom presentation, you'd be, you'd be questioned. Um, but we had the material well prepared and Amanda was sufficiently insightful to know where issues might come up and we tended to try to address most issues before it became an issue. The other thing I was going to ask you, Jeff, you do a lot of apartments. You've, we do. Uh, you do a lot of apartments. Now, I've been into the Spring Street um, apartments. Uh, 35 Spring Street. Which yes. also won an award. It did. It a won national a national award, award for architecture. Yep. Why do you think that was... What do you think attracted the jury in that case? Oh, look, again, I think uh, that it's the combination of architectural design excellence and, again, producing a building that, although, you you know, is is carefully crafted and carefully considered and f- sits perfectly in its context. And for us, it's about tying and creating something that really solves all of the issues, not only the developers' issues, the builders' issues, but more importantly, what it's doing to Melbourne and what it's doing for each and every one of those purchases to maximise a quality residence. Because the demographics are now changing because of that building. A lot of people are moving into the city where before they were a little bit probably sitting on the fence. I think it's kind of very much that end of town is attracting a new there, that in particular look that is a unique position an apartment on spring street overlooking 
Treasury, um, Gardens. Treasury Gardens, you know, on, on I think everyone talks about Collins Street. I personally believe Spring Street's the, you know, the finest building in, in the hodl grid, you know, Parliament, mm. Windsor, uh, the Treasury Building, the Gardens, the Edge, I think it's just magnificent. And to be able to have a residence there at the top, you know, with Collins Street around the corner, what I think it has changed in that instance, there's a lot, been a lot of, you know, speculative development, a lot of purchasing off the plan by investors, this particular building had a massive number of people who were going to be owner-occupiers. So they had an emotional commitment to purchasing something that really was going to serve them. Yeah, and that makes a big difference. What do you like – I mean, what gives you the most pleasure in terms of projects? What kind of – what do you take on now that you think, even if it's not a – that profitable to do, but something that really... Something that's challenging. Yeah. Look, there's plenty of that aren't... Pro- believe me, you know, the VRC, I won't talk about yeah. profitability and so forth, but you you get to the end of it and go, you know what was great for us? Here is an... In- I think our practice is an institution. It is part it is. of Melbourne. We are as much of Melbourne as, as you can be. And here is an institution like ours working for, again, an ins- whether you like horse racing or not, I'm, I've never been particularly... Into- but it is a piece of Melbourne, a fundamental, very important part of Melbourne, and it defines us. And to be able to work with an organisation like the VRC that is as much about Melbourne as we are, I think that's a great honour. What's exciting you at the moment? You've got projects. Oh, we're doing, well, we're doing the Australian Embassy in Washington, and wow. that is again really quite something and why is it something because in 1964 Bates Smart and McCutcheon got the commission to do that building we entered a design competition and here we are 50 years later and that our practice can win it again purely on design merit and be putting an embassy in I guess one of the most important cities in the world. Jeffy you actually refurbishing the 1964? No, unfortunately that building is coming down, I guess for all sorts of security and it no longer meets the needs of a um, modern-day embassy. And so our building is being demolished, but I guess it's great to know that it's being replaced by... Again, you know, if I think back on one of our our great partners, Sir Osborne McCutcheon, I'd like to think that he'd be delighted that his building's being replaced by a practice that has continued on in uh, in the spirit that uh, he had at that time. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, it's great, really great. How is it, I mean, you're obviously very involved in that. I'm, well, actually, I'm not that heavily involved in it. One of our other principal interior designers, and Kristen Whittle, uh, the principal architect, is heavily involved. Um, just a timing issue yeah. with that particular project. But I'm certainly involved in looking at it and uh, and providing comment where appropriate. So, um, yeah, we've, we've forever... I mean, like, we, we did the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Again, another great institution of Melbourne. You asked me what gives me great joy there I was heavily involved and and the Cabrini and Cabrini's just recently been done these are changing the way in which people look at health and to be able as an architect to fundamentally change the way a building can affect those who work within it brings great joy and for us to again work with a great institution like the Royal Children's Hospital as much a part of Melbourne as the VRC is you go well. What a beautiful unison! What a great, what a 
pleasure that brings. Yeah. Jeff, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program. Um, I think it's what I, I love about interviewing people like you is you have this broad knowledge and broad interest in everything from architecture, design, fashion, decorative arts. It's just wonderful well, because it's I think part of it, isn't it? Well, I think it's as you mentioned. There's no but, quarantine. I on think these we things. before we sat down, you said it's the Viennese. It's <laughs> <laughs> my Viennese heritage. It's sort of that almost, holistic approach. Yes, although you know, grandfather would have been trained in all those things. Wonderful. Look, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you've been listening to Jeff Kopelov, uh, Director of Interior Design at Bates Smart Architects. And you've been listening to Stephen Crafty talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.